How's it going today, guys? We're back here live in the studio once again, another episode of Hot Takes with TP3. Today is Tuesday, February 26, 2019. I am joined once again by none other than Brett Baker. Brett, say what's up to the people. What's up, everybody? I haven't been around for a little while. Thomas ran a podcast last week without me. That's pretty messed up. I'm just kidding. But um, hey, it's just like James Harden and Chris Paul's hurt. The show must go on, yes, maybe. Yes, good point. Uh, <laughs> I was dealing with a little bit of a rolled ankle, Chris Paul style. But uh, I'm back, and we're, we got a good show. Um, we're going to talk about a little bit of college basketball. We haven't done that yet. We're also going to touch on some NBA headlines and just throw some fun stuff in there. And we're looking forward to it. Oh, yeah. Got some, lots of good content for you all today. So get ready for that. I mean, we only podcast once last week. You usually do it twice. But I guess I'll start with the big storyline, which I didn't cover last week, which is Zion busting through his shoe. First off, Brett, are you uh, planning on buying any PG2s? <laughs> Honestly, I'm a, I'm a fan of the PG shoe. Like, visually, they're cool. Yeah. Looking. But that kind of threw me off a little bit. Uh, probably threw Zion off a little bit. Obviously, he has a knee sprain. He's missing his second straight game. Against Virginia Tech tonight, uh, I mean, that was weird. Uh, I saw a montage of videos of where it's happened, like, multiple times. I've actually so, seen it happen before. Yeah, it's Manu, LeBron, all the big players it's happened to, but they haven't really come out of it with an injury. That one was kind of a weirder situation because it was such a – I mean, it was just a pivot. It was like a spin pivot, and his shoe exploded. It was like a – it was a pretty infa- infamous moment in sports. Like, there was that date. Yeah, it broke Twitter. Like, who, literally. Who decided to not take the shoes off the court? Yeah. They were literally chilling there the entire the entire game, just sitting under his hey, bench. They were, they were watching the game, man. I mean, dude, I bet you that I bet you that shoe will sell, will sell for at least six figures. Like, oh, yeah. Easily sure. that shoe is worth sure. six figures. For now, sure. That shoe is like legendary memorabilia. I have the shoe that Zion busted through and sprained his knee and potentially changed college basketball. Like, we'll talk about everything with that. First off, Nike could have been in some serious. Yeah. First off, I honestly think this was all LeVar Ball behind all of it. This is his way of getting Zion to sign a big baller brand. <laughs> <laughs> no, I'm completely kidding. Hey, but, you never do know. LeVar's got some strings yeah, he can I mean, pull. LeVar, yeah, I mean, you never know, man, with LeVar. But I think this Zion thing is actually huge, not only because it broke the internet, but just for college basketball and basketball in general. So we saw that they pushed for them to change the age from 19 years old to 18 years mm-hmm. old to be yeah, able to the draft, push up. which means most players can skip college and go straight to the league. I like what Lucas said. Go to Europe. Yeah, go to Europe. I mean, I'm not really a fan of them going to Europe. I like it. I'd rather have them skip and just go straight yeah. to the NBA. Mm-hmm. I'm not going to lie, though. Personally, I'm more a fan of kids going to college and playing college basketball. Well, yeah, you get the uh, – the fact of the matter is a lot of the situations that were developing, like the LeBron James and the Kobe Bryants came out of high school – you kind of miss the opportunity to see some greats play on a college basketball landscape, and the college basketball landscape is as old as basketball itself. So it's it's fun to watch that. I mean, you can't tell me that those big rivalry games, you know, like the Duke North Carolina game, stuff like things like that, those are fun to watch. We don't get to see that from high school players that go straight from high school to the NBA. We don't ever get to see them until they touch the NBA floor, and then. Our expectations are kind of clouded because of that. And I think that college gives a lot of players, because not everybody's LeBron James, not everybody's Zion Williamson. A lot of people struggle to develop coming out of high school. I think that the fact is we're going to see a lot more bust 
if they lower that H. Yeah, absolutely. And a guy that I think back on for that is Sebastian Telfair. I mean, he there's was a an, ton. He's an absolute legend in high school and Kwame. basketball. I mean, yeah, Kwame Brown. Like those guys are absolute legends. They go to the NBA. They do absolutely nothing. They're not even. They're only household names because of how big they were before they got I mean, to the NBA. Like, I I agree with you in the sense that it ruins big rivalries like North Carolina Duke. I also think that one the besides the fact that it doesn't give us a chance to watch them. I mean, look at Nasir Little for example at North Carolina. He's t- he's a top. I think he was the number five overall recruit i mean he won mvp of the mcdonald's all-american game and the jordan brand classic i mean he's kind of he's not been very good but i mean as of late he has he's come on strong yes. and he's like he looks like two different players you know and, and you can and that's probably a testament to roy williams i mean mm-hmm. he understands how to develop players there's certain coaches in the ncaa that know how to develop players really well and i mean at the end of the day we will. It's a fact that we will see more busts if they're coming straight out of high school because it's simple. I mean, you go from playing high school talent to NBA talent. There is no in between there. There's no yeah. ground for you to walk to where you can start a sprint once you get into the NBA. There's just it's it's literally night and day. Well, also they all are trying to develop the G League more and more and make it more mm-hmm. of a developmental league, which I do like. But then again, at the same time, like it hasn't really been a proven process. So I don't personally like that. Like there's guys. Um, Here's the thing: if you want to go, if you want to go straight out of high school to the to go, you know, try to play in the NBA, nobody wants to go to the G League. Yeah, nobody wants. If to you want to go to the G League, you probably would rather go to a college basketball anyway. I mean, exactly. I just I don't understand the point of doing that particular instance. I don't I don't think the G League has any uh, I don't think they have any strength in swaying players. I don't think so. I think that I think that the high school athletes are the high school athletes like Zion Williamson, LeBron James, the ones that are promised and also have the physical infrastructure to play in the nba fine go for it yeah you can attempt it but there's a lot of players that should have never even got the chance to in terms of coming straight out of high school when it was still allowed like Telfair, Kwame brown there's a whole list of them that should not have done yeah, so like i mean if you look back at the last couple draft classes and the number one overall picks like carl anthony towns for example he probably should have played in college which he did it was good for his player development like marvin bagley I mean, Marvin Bagley, he could have gone to the NBA. I don't know if how much it would have changed his development, but I felt like him going to college is good for his development. Zion, it definitely LeBron, helped him. LeBron, I mean, there's guys you could see. I mean, I would say Marvin Bagley's biggest, I mean, as far as playing in the NBA successfully, his biggest, uh, I guess, issue with developing right now, currently, after playing a year mm-hmm. in college, is his physical prowess. He needs to get a little bit bigger. He needs to, you know, kind of dominate the post a little bit more. Or, yeah find ways to be more successful in the post. And I don't think he would have been half the player that he is in that particular situation if he did not go to Duke previous to this year. Yeah, and I agree with you completely on that. I think that it is more beneficial for them to go to college and play. I would rather have them pay college athletes because I know another big thing, another big deal a lot of people were making was the fact that ticket prices were going for over two grand to get in the building, like Super Bowl prices to be in the building. I mean, also... um, well, I don't know why I'm drawing a blank on the name of Duke. Cameron Indoor also. It's a oh, small. Oh, Cameron Indoor, yeah. Yeah, it's small. It's small, so there's yeah, uh, so, I mean, supply and demand. Yeah, ticket prices are always going to be higher for that. But, I mean, there's guys who will take other routes to get paid. Like, for example, Darius Baisley. He's the number 13 overall recruit in this draft class. He's doing, like, a million-dollar internship with New Balance and is working on his skills to develop and go to the NBA and skipping out on college mm-hmm. this year. So, I mean, there's guys doing stuff like that. But... 
I'm more of a fan. I think they should personally pay college athletes a little bit. I'm all for college athletes getting paid. I think they should get paid. In my, in my mindset, just being somebody that went to a university, we both went to a university for four years as non-athletes. Mm. We paid our tuition. We paid everything. At the same time, these athletes, I would like to say, yes, they get paid or they should get paid, but they are kind of getting paid in a sense in terms of free education, free food, free places of living. They are getting paid in a sense. So I do understand like in certain situations, I think there needs to be maybe a bonus. Maybe if like you lead your team to the NCAA tournament, yeah, your players should maybe get like some kind of bonus of some sort in a sense like okay we're bringing a lot of money i think it has to be equal i think you can't because i mean then teams like duke and stuff like that are always getting paid but that's i think it should be something small though maybe like 200 dollars a week or like how much you could make like working 20 hours at like a minimum wage job i could see that too that you know i feel like it should be more so something like that so i mean i think this zion thing opens a lot of discussion and a lot of stuff for college basketball in general but and and let's get mm -hmm. one thing clear I am getting so tired of people saying that he should sit out the rest of the year. What do, do these people think that Zion Williamson just doesn't care? He came to Duke to win. He came, he goes anywhere to win. And I understand that the money's on the line, but he has an insurance policy to where if he gets hurt and slips out of the top 16, Duke paid for it. It was $50,000. If he slides out of that top 16, he gets paid $8 million. On the spot. But as an insurance but one year of his NBA contract would make him more than that $8 million oh, yeah. that he'd be losing out on. I don't know. I actually side more so with the side that if I'm Zion, I would sit out. Look, I recognize it's not what we want to see from a fan perspective. I mean, I don't want Zion to sit out. It's not what we want to see from a fan perspective. It's not what you want to see from a competitor's perspective. But from a Zion perspective, at the end of the day, he hasn't seen a penny of this money yet. Zion's brand mm -hmm. is already one of the biggest. Like, he literally broke Twitter. He was the number one most trending thing on Twitter for about a week. He's the number one most trending thing on like in America. He has a lot of good things. Going like he's sure. everything going for him. His social media, like Zion, is the biggest name I've seen in college basketball and basketball in general since LeBron James. If I'm Zion, I'm gonna go get my money and I'm sitting out. March. I'm sitting everything out. He he already said uh, that. You know he wasn't going to sit out. He came out and said that. But here's my thing. He he came to Duke to win something. I think every player kind of wants. Right now, at least, without being able to be drafted straight out of high school, I think uh -huh. every player kind of wants to go win an NCAA tournament and then go to the pros. Mm -hmm. I think that's got to be the mindset as a competitor that you want on your team, especially if you're trying to win a championship at the N NBA level. It's kind of like the whole whether you believe in tanking for a top prospect or not. And I understand that's a little bit different in the sense that you can't just stop playing. Yeah, and I think that Zion cannot stop playing. I don't think it's. I think it. Once Zion or somebody like that sits, it causes a whole array of issues with the NCAA. Even this year, I mean, you'd start seeing other players sit, and I, I don't want to see that. I don't. I don't think Zion is ever going to be the guy that kind of sits out. I think he got got a little bit of a knee scare, of course, but I mean that's something that you risk going out there. Could have been on anything. It just so happens it was a shoe explosion, which makes the whole situation weird. But I don't think it's – I don't think he has anything to worry about as far as being hurt. Obviously, knock on wood, but 
Yeah, I mean, it's definitely a discussion to have. I mean, I personally should sit out, but let's move here. Let's talk about just college basketball in general. Obviously, we can start with Duke since we're already on the subject. I personally think Duke is the best team in the nation with mm-hmm. Zion on the floor. I mean, mm-hmm. even without him, they still have pro- arguably the best player in college basketball. I mean, pretty much Duke is going to have two players better than you every single time they go out there. Maybe arguably two of the top five players in college basketball. Uh, I think they're the two best. One and two for sure. I would say well, one and two are Zion and R.J. Barrett, no doubt. I was including it. Cam Reddish. Oh, the top oh five. yeah, 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 yeah. yeah, yeah. And, oh, yeah easily. So, yeah. I mean, they have three out of the top five. They're, they're not a talent. They're not a – they're – even without Zion, they're talented, more talented than most teams. Yeah, fans, honestly, yeah. unless they're playing Murray State or like just not based off NBA talent, but based off college basketball, unless they're playing like Murray State, probably Purdue or uh, or who's the other one or uh, Marquette, then they're pretty much have the top three players on the floor at all times. So Duke I, is absolutely stacked in that aspect. And I mean, look what they did against a team like a team like Syracuse. Carrier Dome is not an easier easy place to win and get it. And uh, I still I still truly do. believe believe that if they didn't have Zion Williamson going into that North Carolina game that they still would have won simply because they would have been able to game plan for it they took mm-hmm. Joey Baker off uh, red shirt that'll help them inside They're, that's their biggest issue right now is yeah their post play without Zion in the court because they don't get as many rebounds as they do with him obviously mm-hmm. and I think this stretch that they're going to have here without Zion is going to be the thing that helps them most because they're kind of they kind of get to see one RJ Barrett kind of gets to develop as the sole option, mm-hmm. which will help him. Yeah, he and had thirty and seven last week. Yeah, as yeah, the sole yeah. Option. Cam Cam Reddish struggled against Syracuse a little bit, but I I expect him to you know really flourish in this time that Zion's out, and we also kind of get to see the development of some big guys not named Zion Williamson because with him on the court it makes everything easier. Makes everything easier for Coach K. Without him, you kind of have to get a little bit more creative in terms of trying to uh, produce some rebounds and post uh, offensive post scoring is another thing that kind of hard to come by without him on the court. Mm-hmm. But I think this is going to help them a lot because once they do get him back, everything's going to seem like a walk in the park for them. So I, I don't I don't expect them to have much of an issue even. Until maybe the, the lead eight in the tournament. I mean, it's March Madness. Crazy things can happen. Crazy things can happen. Everything's gone for Duke this year. Ultimately, the way I look at how the season went for Duke, Gonzaga got it, caught him early in the season. Obviously, they lost to Syracuse because they didn't have uh, Trey Jones, their point guard, and they also didn't have Cam Reddish for that game. So, I mean, they were down two of their best players, which kind of hurt for them. So, and in the UNC game, obviously, Zion. I feel like Zion was more like a shock for them in that game that ultimately helped North Carolina win. But I truly believe Duke's the best team in the nation. They can score the ball like none other. I mean, you're going to... You're going to have to come out and shoot, pretty much shoot the best game you've ever shot in order to be like, literally, I think in order for a team to beat them, they're going to have to come out and have one of those crazy games from three. I, I will say Gonzaga beat them, though, with yeah, the that rebounding. Was, that was early in the season. Yeah, it was though. early in the season. And but Duke should have won the game. RJ Barrett yeah, for sure. RJ Barrett win and didn't do understand. I will say about that game, the main takeaway I had out of that Gonzaga-Duke game was that I feel like Coach K was telling them, telling the team that the ball should go through RJ Barrett. And he didn't necessarily know how to facilitate. Mm-hmm. He was kind of thinking that as more of like, oh, I need to score this. But I think as that team kind of develops, because let's be honest. I mean, let's be realistic here. That team, that Duke team is pretty much all new faces. They've never played with each other up until this offseason. So 
I think that they're going to continue to get better together. And I, I, I honestly, I think they're unstoppable if they're healthy. Yeah, I mean, I agree with you completely. I think that the kind of team that beats them is the type of team that can outscore them. North Carolina is a team I look at that can outscore them. Mm-hmm. I mean, North Carolina is one of the best scoring teams in the NCAA. Um, they have great vet- – the thing I love about North Carolina is they have the young guys and they have the veterans. So, Gonzaga and North Carolina are one and three in the nation in points per game. Then Buffalo's at four, Duke's at five. Uh, Buffalo is a team I was going to talk about in a minute. Is a team I think they can pull some upsets. I mean, we saw what they did last year in the tournament. But Gonzaga, I mean, Gonzaga's got some good players, right? You, Maria will be a top pick in the draft, obviously. But mm-hmm. Gonzaga, I mean, man, they're really good. They're a real good team. So I like them a lot with the way they can score the ball. And like you said, rebound the ball. North Carolina, I like how they have the – see, my thing is in March, the kind of team that wins typically is a veteran team. I think that Duke can be the, one of the exceptions to that just because how talented they are, kind of like those Kentucky teams that would go deep in the mm-hmm. tournament with a bunch of freshmen. But, I mean, North Carolina to me is a team that's going to make a real run. They got bounced early. They, they, they and they have Luke, man, they have a – they have the nice balance between young talent yeah. and they got veteran. the freshman with Nasir Little and Joey White, and they got their experience with, with Luke Cam May. Johnson and Luke, yeah. Luke May. I think Cam Johnson's honestly their best player on the team, but mm-hmm. they can run you out the building. They play great. Like against Florida State, for example, Florida State, we're, we were hot. We were on an eight game win streak. We played them on Saturday. One of the, I mean, I think we're one of the better teams in the nation, can do play well in March. But like it's North Carolina, we went like a five minute drought where we could just not score the ball, and the game went from a three point game to North Carolina being up by 20. That's just the kind of team mm-hmm. they are, and they can score the ball. They would have beat Virginia at home if it hadn't been for Cam Johnson and Nasir Little getting hurt early on. I, w- I will say um, Virginia is one of those teams that are so hit or, hit or miss for me. I feel like you can get a night and day version of that team sometimes. And I, I'm not really sure what Virginia has there, but they're probably my uh, – I'd have to say they're probably part of my least favorite of the, wow. of the top five. See, I like teams like Virginia, I like Virginia. Don't get me wrong, but Michigan State, Michigan, Texas Tech. To me, though, they're all kind of the same th- same team. Even kind of Tennessee, they're more so defensive teams. They got their veterans. You know, they're going to play you really well. They want the game played on their pace. Uh, Michigan and Virginia, I don't really believe in honestly in March Madness. I don't think they can score the ball well enough. I just feel like I mean, yeah, they can play good defense, but there's going to be a team that's going to come out and outscore them. I mean, for example, shit, we saw what happened to Virginia in mm-hmm. the last. In last year's March Madness with UNCB. So, I mean, we could easily see something like that happen again. I also think that... Um, I do feel like they're probably going to be playing with a little bit of different... Yeah, I mean... A different fire under them yeah, because I mean, they, they got beat by Yeah, they on their shoulder and they won't get bounced like they did last year, but I also don't think Virginia's going to go to the Final Four or win it all. Right now, my four best teams, I got to go with Kentucky, Duke, North Carolina, and Gonzaga. I think they're the four best teams in the nation right now. I really like Houston, but I mean, they're 26-1 right now. They've lost one game all season and that was a while back. I think they're on like a 15-17 game win streak, something like that. I feel like in basketball, you can only stay hot for so long or do a loss. Things that people don't realize, Houston has the fourth best RPI in college basketball. So, I mean, they're no joke with the teams and scheduling they've been playing. I like LSU a lot. They had that huge win against Tennessee. I still like Tennessee. I do like Tennessee. And it's it's tough, though, because they both they played road games mm-hmm. against LSU and Kentucky. Kentucky blew them out of the house, realistically. And uh, I, th- I think that I think that Tennessee's I think this is like the first real big roadblock that they've had. So I'd like to see – I'm not going to jump the gun on them. I don't want to give up on them yet, but I'd like to see this next week. 
in terms of how they play because I, we haven't seen that from yeah. them yet. We haven't seen them get blown out yet. I mean, now's the time, though, to kind of hit roadblocks in the season before you get to March. I mean, they still have time to figure it out. They have a revenge game against Kentucky on Saturday, mm-hmm. which is going to be another fun game to watch. So That's at home, too. So. Yeah, that's what I'm saying. So it's at home. So, I mean, there's plenty of time for them to make it up. I mean, they got to play at Ole Miss, at Auburn, versus Mississippi State, versus Kentucky. So I'd say they're probably playing basically outside of LSU. They finish pretty much even counting in LSU out. Those are the tops. Tennessee's one of the top six teams in the SEC. They pretty much close out so I mean we're going to find out a lot about Tennessee what kind of team they are I mean I think now's the time to have that loss or the struggle before you get to March it's the same thing with Duke mm-hmm. like they're having a good time to figure everything out about their team I really mm-hmm. like Grant Williams and Jordan Bone um, Admiral Schofield everything this Tennessee Volunteers team does I was pissed off last week that they had Gonzaga and all these teams ranked ahead of them I mean they unfortunately they dropped that one to LSU and it was kind of weird too because LSU was missing one of their best players in or things yes not or uh, Tremont Waters he's their leading scorer he's sitting out the game but I mean they still had Nas Reed and Skylar Mays who are both two of the better players in the SEC so mm-hmm. I mean I think that's I think that they're good tournament teams you know it's gonna be fun to watch see what happens in the tournament I mean the ACC obviously is stacked up as usual so it'd be fun to see how these SEC teams and these other conferences do another team that I mean back from the dead. Truly, mm-hmm. back from the dead is uh, Kansas. I mean, a lot of people were kind of counting Kansas out, and I think that they're getting healthy at the right time. I think that they might actually be a team that can sleep. I think there is like a sleeper pick in a sense. It's hard to call Kansas, the Kansas Jayhawks, a sleeper pick because we all know their history. But I do feel like they're coming. They're becoming healthy at the right time. I agree with you, but I also don't think that... I just feel like it's not their year, man. Like, I mean, they're missing LeGerald Vic. Mm-hmm. They're missing their big man. I can't think of his name. He's been out all season long. They have gotten good production from other guys, but I just don't think Kansas can get it done. I feel like that they've just been hot for so long with Bill Self. I think it's one of those more down years for them. I mean, it's been kind of a down year for the Big 12 and or, or Big Ten. Yeah, Big 12 in general. They've been beating up on each other. I mean, the Big East, though, and the Pac-12 are kind of embarrassing for these two conferences this year. They both have one ranked team combined. Mm-hmm. It's pretty much being dominated right now by the Big Ten, the Big 12, the SEC and the ACC. Most of the ACC, though, has the highest ranked teams. So, I mean, I feel like that it's we're going to see. I think the ACC ultimately will have two teams in the Final Four. I don't know what two teams it'll be, whether it's North Carolina, whether it's Duke, whether it's one of these sleeper teams. I really feel like another ACC team that I was really high on, too. You know, I feel like throughout the college basketball season, it's more it's college basketball to me. It's just yeah, like say here, college football. Might, it's one of these, teams, the same. these sports where you buy or sell teams right now. I'm going to have to sell on the Louisville Cardinals. They have not yeah, been playing no, well. No, they have not been playing well. I think the, that Duke game really shook them up. Mm-hmm. They have not been the same team since. That and Florida State. I mean, they blew two well, big leads. They were beating Florida State by 10 with yeah, I think, and lost. I think time. that Duke won kind of exposed them in a sense and also – I don't think they've gotten right mentally since it because that's a big game to lose. That's a that's a season changing game. They were up by twenty two, or was it twenty five? They were up by twenty plus against Duke with you know eight minutes left. Yeah, and they lost. The two and five over their last seven, and in that they have played at they've played North Carolina at home. They lost by ten. They won at Virginia Tech. Lost at Florida State, lost at home versus Duke, won at Clemson by one point, and they lost at Syracuse and lost to Virginia. So, I mean, they've played a tough stretch. Those are pretty much, those are, that's literally the top uh, eight teams right there in the ACC all playing each other. 
or including Louisville, that's the top eight teams in the ACC right there. So, I mean, that's not a good stretch for them. They've not been playing well. Obviously, they have time to figure it out, but I feel like it's more so they played better then. And also, Chris Mack teams, to me, have never been great tournament teams. Even when he was at Xavier, they never really made that many big runs in the NCAA tournament. So, I mean, I like Chris Mack and everything he does as a coach. I'm just I'm going to have to sell big on the Louisville Cardinals okay. right now. I agree. I mean, I, I'm not – I just think that they uh, – they looked good at one point. Don't get me wrong. And I think that they still are a good team. I just don't think they have have the it factor in terms of competing in a for a title. No, I agree with you. And that's why I've always been more so. Like, I haven't talked about as much college basketball in this podcast for a couple reasons. One reason being, I feel like in before conference play, like, you, really everything to me that happens outside of conference play, you can throw out the window because it's at the beginning of the season when you're trying to figure everything out. I mean, you, a lot of these stadiums, a lot of the students are back home, you know, for Christmas break. So, I mean, there's not as many people in these stadiums and stuff, or they're playing in these tournaments where you play five, four games in five days, you know. So, I mean, that doesn't really say as much mm-hmm. about the season or March Madness. So, I throw a lot of that out the window you see there. But also, on top of that, I mean, I think one other thing that really hurts college basketball this year that's going to hurt it when the the NBA draft gets changed up with these players going to the league. Sorry, I had to clear my throat a little bit. Is, I mean, just the fact that, like, I mean, if you look at college basketball, for example, this year, like, the top three players play on the same team. So, I mean, that takes mm-hmm. that out that you want to watch. Like, last year, I love watching because I mean, all these prospects on different teams. Then you got John Moran. I mean, he plays on Murray State. You don't want to watch Murray State play. You know what I mean? Like, it, I mean, you, you, the only reason you don't want to watch Murray State play is because of him. Yeah, but I mean, realistically, are you going to sit there? You also have, to go along with this, you also have people like Romeo Langford. Indiana and he don't get me wrong Romeo Langford has some flashes of brilliance but mm-hmm. he is the only option really scoring wise he's one of the only options for Indiana and it, it shows a lot when you're watching them and yeah. it's it's not the funnest situation because yeah you before this recent you know like this recent Duke class you kind of get teams that are a little bit more equal in terms of potential NBA players uh just kind of it'll be fun because look at the end of the day the NCAA tournament brings to light some players that you didn't even hear about and then they go first round just because they ball out in the NCAA tournament and you kind of had heard about them, but you really hadn't watched them. So, yeah, so that's one of the funnest things about Yeah, you can the watch NCAA them on the big yeah. stage, and it kind of shows, like, who's cold-blooded, who can play under pressure, you know? Like, that's when the real ballers come but out. But there is – I, I do agree with you. There is a lot of players on teams that aren't necessarily, you know, competing at – you know, in a, in a ranked system. Like, they're mm-hmm. not – I mean, you got – the guy from uh, Texas, Hayes, uh, he's a really good big guy. And, uh, I mean, you hardly even want to watch Texas at this point. I mean, they've, they've, they lost to uh, – recently they lost to Oklahoma. And, I mean, that's not a very good look considering Oklahoma just got smacked by Iowa State. Uh, it's just – I'm really looking forward to the NCAA tournament and some of these conference tournaments just because we will get to see who the top prospects really are. I don't think we really know, with the exception of, you know, the top ten. I mean, I feel like the top four is pretty set in stone. Zion, John Morant, R.J. Barrett, Cam Reddish. Yeah. Um, who, who do you like after that? Who's your fifth bet? Who's your next Like I, I said, I do, I do like Romeo Lankford. I, I think it's going to take a little bit more time to develop. I think I see him as kind of a uh, – Kind of a Colin Sexton with a little bit more size in terms of it's going to take him to develop to 
a time to kind of form a game that's built for the NBA, but at the same time, I feel like he has these flashes of brilliance, whether it be shooting or slashing, that really, I think that he can be a top player in this uh, in this draft. I think he's probably about as sound as you can get as far as a size and weight for a small forward shooting guard type guy, 6'6", 200 pounds, has some room to grow a little bit. I just, I think he's a proto, like the prototypical wing in the NBA. It just depends on whether or not he, uh, he's able to develop how he should. Yeah, I mean, I, I like, like you said, I like the potential of Romeo Langford. Great from the free throw line too. Like you said, I just want to see a little bit more consistency out of him. It is tough for him up there as the number one, um, ass or the number one player on his team. I mean, it's tough for me to say who I like fifth. I kind of like Ryu Hachimura from Gonzaga, small mm-hmm. forward, power forward, 6'8", 235 pounds. I think he can do a lot of good things. He's a guy who's only been playing basketball since he was, um, I believe, since he was like 15. So, I mean, he's still got a lot of development that he can do. He's played with three years in college, starting to come on better. I mean, he's shooting 44% from three-pointer as opposed to um, 19% last year. So, I mean, he's shown lots of improvement in his game as the season's gone on. He's shooting better percentages from the field. He's averaging 20 points per game. I think he's really a guy that I would – I think he's got high potential kind of guy that I'd like to see my team draft. I'm also – I mean, Jared Culver. I was going to say Jared Culver. I'm high on too. Yeah, him is a two-way player. I think he could be good. Um, same thing with Nikki Alexander. I think he could, but – The only thing about Culver is I feel like he needs to develop some sort of jump shot. Mm-hmm. I agree with you completely on that. I think he's got a lot of work left to do. I think Nasir Little needs to return to college for another year. My guy, actually, that I'm extremely high on, like I've been saying, is Bull Bull. I think he's one of those more like MB-type players. You might have to draft him. You might not see him for a year or two. Mm-hmm. But when he's actually ready to play, I think he could be a next-level kind of player. I mean, he has guard skills, like passing. He can do it all as, as a— And he's 7 six, foot Yeah, two. as a seven one seven two center. I mean, Bull Bull, I think, is one of those next-level game-changing players. I think that he—I re- really think Bull Bull— has the potential to be as good, like on par with Zion. The big, the big thing about Bo Bo for me is the fact that he's seven two and he shoots eighty four percent from the free throw line. And I mean, it's a, it's a small, it's a small, you know, mm-hmm. he only has sixty three attempts or seventy three attempts rather on the season, and he's hurt. But at the same time, big guys going to get fouled more often than not in terms of, you know, they're going to be there on the board if you're seven two, you're gonna get some offensive boards, you're gonna get some defensive boards, and you're gonna definitely pick up some fouls along the way. Yeah. And the fact that he can hit some free throws is a huge benefit in terms of drafting a big man. And I think that I agree with you on the bowl bowl talk. I think he's the real deal. I think it just depends on whether or not you are in a position to wait. Yeah, and I think it seemed like the Hawks could be in position to wait. I also think that just have with a lot the of way, picks too. yeah, just with the way that the NBA works now and stuff, you're gonna see a lot smaller lineups in there. And so, I mean, it's made it easier. Like, if you're a good big man, like it's made it easier for these guys to average. We've seen the rebound numbers go up. Mm-hmm. We've seen these big men be able to dominate a lot easier than they used to in the past because teams really are playing basically two small forwards rather than a pat. You know, they're not playing these big lineups like they used to. So, I think that favors Bull Bull too and gives you an advantage in drafting Bull Bull. So, I like him a lot. I mean, I think they're. I think this draft isn't quite as good as the ones we've seen in the past, but there's definitely lots of talent. I mean, other guys. I think up, up, to, up top, the draft is as good as we've seen in a long time. Yeah. Like in terms of the top five or six, I think that it's about as good as it gets. But after that, it's kind of whether or not you want to take a risk on certain players and 
whether or not that risk pays off. Yeah, I think guys like Naz Reed, um, Kevin Porter Jr., uh, DeAndre Hunter, and who's my other one I wanted to say? Uh, Kobe White. Also. Kobe White. I like all those guys, too. I think they have things that could translate well into the NBA. So, I mean, those are kind of my prospects right now. I actually am still kind of waiting to kind of figure everything out for my prospects. I know last year was a lot easier to kind of set everything in stone. I'm still waiting for some other things to help set in stone for me this year. Mm -hmm. But, I mean, you got anything else you want to say on this before we move on to a little NBA talk? I'm good for the. I'm good for it right now. I, uh, I think we have... We have a lot to discuss when it comes to college basketball later on down the road, but right now it's kind of in that developmental stage to where the season's kind of still hitting full strides right now, and it's like we're not really sure what's there until after the like conference tournaments, yeah. and I think that's a fun time to uh, really delve deeper into college basketball, so we'll get to that when it comes, and now we're going to move on to the NBA. We got big news to talk about. Your boy, James Harden. Against the Atlanta Hawks, the hometown Atlanta Hawks, shut him down in a sense. He only scored, what, 28? Yeah, 28. 28? Oh, that's tough, man. Only that could be worse than that is 29. Yeah, he's but 0 for 10 from 3 last night, you know, just wasn't playing good. Wasn't his night, you know. I mean, 31 games in a row, you do it, you're bound to not have it eventually. It is what it is. I mean, Harden, he's more of a team guy. He didn't really seem to care that much about it after the game was over. So that's 20. I mean, it is what it is. But I'll, I want to look at it from the other side here. I want to talk a little Hawks here for a few minutes. Trey, Can I give that side of the day 36 points, eight assists. 8 for 12 on the three ball. That's 66% from deep. I mean, Trey Young has been coming on strong lately. He's the only player since Blake Griffin to have multiple, I mean, rookie to have multiple 30 and 10 games, which he had in that loss against um, Detroit on Friday night. Trey Young is coming on strong. This Hawks team is coming on strong. And look, this is well, this is something that like a lot of people are like, why is this your takeaway from this? But so I was really looking forward to watching that Rising Stars game, which I watched every minute of. And mm-hmm. Trey Young and John Collins put on an absolute great. show. And you know what that tells me in games like that? When you have players who can go out there and show off and look good showing off, that shows you that they're all naturals and that they're just ballers. And that's what we that have and, with these guys. That, and the fact that, I mean, here's, here's the thing with Trey Young. And John Collins. They both have chemistry. Mm-hmm. We have a ton of draft picks. The Hawks have a ton of draft picks in the uh, future here. And We're going to have two top ten picks this year for sure. And the thing is with them is Trey Young is looking outstanding. In the last five games, I'd like to read out some of these rookies. Mm-hmm. Last five games, he's averaging 26 points, 3.6 rebounds, 9.4 assists, and four deep balls. So he's almost averaging a double-double. Almost averaging a double double. Those are just, I mean, those are some dominant numbers. Luca is averaging 23.8, 10 rebounds, 8 assists. Marvin Bagley, 23 points, 9 rebounds. DeAndre Aiden, 10 rebounds, 17 points. Bunch of good rookies out there. I mean, it's a special class, truly. Yeah. And this whole Luca being the best one, I understand that he is probably the most well rounded and probably the most fundamentally sound. But. Trey Young is sneaking up on him pretty rapidly, and I'm, I'm glad that Luka had such a great start to the season and is still playing really well because it kind of uh, it shields Trey Young from the criticism that he was destined for because everybody wanted to talk about how he was the next Steph Curry and stuff like that, which is a ridiculous concept. I hate the comparison culture that we've 
created from the LeBron, Michael Jordan talk. Yeah, I but, mean, Trey Young is similar to Steph Curry in the way they play, but Trey Young's also a floor general, which is something yeah, that Steph Curry he, he's not. He's a pass-first guy. Yeah, and, and Trey, Trey Young's passing looked good from day one, even in those summer league games when he was struggling to score the basketball and he was scoring five points and everyone was like, oh, he's a bust, the Hawks messed up. I was like, calm down. He's played two games. I mean, Trey Young to me, guys, is the real deal. John Collins is. I like. I even like Kevin Herter. I, I like love Kevin Herter. Sp- Spellman, too. I like the way the Hawks have built this team and built culture around them. I know I've told you all many times about like the style of play we're trying to do. Look, we're not going to, unfortunately, guys, we're tanking this year. We're not going to be able to get Zion. We're probably not going to pick before the first in the top three, probably. But this is the thing that I like differently about us. Look at Phoenix. If you look at Phoenix's roster, they have way more talent than we do. They have way more talent than all these other teams, yet they're tied for the worst record in the NBA Mm because they've developed a losing culture. They have a losing culture. That's all. I like that we're winning. Yeah, I like that we're doing that. Honestly, yeah, I like the fact that we didn't develop. Like, last year, we had all those players. I mean, Coach Bud's not a loser coach, and not what I'm saying, but last year we had a losing culture. Like, all those players, all we did was lose. Our team was awful last year. We pretty much have gotten rid of probably, I mean, look at our roster overturn. We pretty much got rid of 60% of that roster from last year, mm-hmm. and most of the players playing were not even on the roster last year with exceptions of, like, Bazemore and Deadman, and, I mean, John Collins, but he's the rookie. And now you look at our roster, and we're winning games. We're playing better. So, I mean, I like the fact that we just didn't go with that kind of culture. I also like the fact that, with the Hawks, you kind of have a nice mix of veterans right now to kind of help out with. We're not going anywhere. Yeah. Playoff wise, we're not going anywhere. We have Vince Carter. We have Jeremy Lin. Uh, we have some old guys. Well, Jeremy Lin's on the right. Yeah. Well, yeah. I'm saying we had him. Uh, but no, I think we did a good job bringing, bringing in, in some veterans. Yeah, Vince Carter did a good job. Like He's like a player's coach. Like Every yeah, single he's game got, I He's a guy that's coming watch. to you and telling yeah. you, hey, you messed up here, but like I'm going to help you out a little bit. And tell you what you could have done a little bit better. Yeah, he's not going to be aggressive about it. He's not going to be like LeBron James pointing somebody out and like, what are you doing? It's not going to J.R. Smith you. Um, yeah. Anywho, I think I think the main benefit of the Hawks right now is the fact that there's no expectations on them. So we have a lot of lottery picks. We have a lot of talent, obviously. And with the lottery it's kind of switching up a little bit in terms mm-hmm. of like trying to prevent tanking and whatnot, I do think the Hawks still have a chance to get a top five pick. Ideally, because I'm pretty much counting them out of the Zion and RJ sweepstakes, I would love to see Cam Reddish on the Hawks. I think he would be a great fit for him. Oh, yeah. Uh, I think it would be, I mean, if you had, that would set the Hawks lineup as Trey Young at point guard, Kevin Herter at shooting guard, Cam Reddish, who's a great defender. He's underrated at the, on the, he's like Paul George, honestly. Yeah, honestly, a little bit. And, uh. Obviously, that seems like a far, that seems like a reach at this point because Paul George is playing so good. But Paul George, eight years ago, of course, yeah, I definitely see that. And we also have John Collins at power forward. We have some talent at center if we keep Deadman. But even if we don't, we can still draft for Deadman. And I think that. Or we can draft for a replacement. Yeah, I actually read that Deadman's probably going to get bought probably out. Probably bought out, yeah, within the season's end, just because. Why not? I mean, yeah. the Hawks don't really have any reason to win. We don't really have any reason to keep him with us. And I, I think that the Hawks have a great, great future. I really do. I, I think that within a couple seasons, they might be playoff contenders. Um, it just depends on, 
And I mean, do you think the Hawks can sway any big names in free agency? Because well, I do I, think we down the road. Yeah, next year I think we're going to go out and spend the money. I think this is our last real like develop. I think next year will be our last real developmental year with the team and everything. I mean, I wouldn't be surprised if the Hawks slipped in the in the playoffs and got the eight seed if we get a good get good like next a year? player or two that can help us win for next year. Mm-hmm. But ultimately, my thing going back to what we were saying about how that we have these veteran guys like. When I go to the Hawks games, like I'll, I sit pretty close to the bench, so like I'll be sitting there watching, and I see Vince Carter talking to Trey Young and pointing things out yeah, to him. Like Trey yeah, Young yeah, comes yeah. to the bench, and Vince kind of, Carter's sitting next to him, trying to help him learn stuff. Like Jeremy Lin's another great guy to have too. I mean, Jeremy Lin's a guy who's basically was not guy. even in the NBA. Not only is he a smart guy, but I mean, he learned like when you have your chance to, when you get your opportunity, you got to take advantage of it. And he's teaching these guys like your opportunity is now go out there and show you can play and take advantage of it. And that's exactly what all these guys are doing. So, I mean, I like the culture. I like the team we're you building. Can. I love everything the Hawks are doing. And look, I trust our GM, Travis Schlink, as yeah, much as I want. I'm disappointed that we're not going to get Zion and RJ. I mean, those are the guys that I was banking on getting that I wanted to see mm-hmm. us get, but I think with the culture that we're building and everything we've done, I think the Hawks can go out and find value picks if we're picking at four and eight or if we're pick- with two top ten picks. I think we can get another all-star player in our lineup and get another guy who's going to help us win down the road. And then, like you said, we go out, spend the big money, and add somebody. So I think the Hawks are building a great culture here around their team. Um, other NBA news we kind of have, I mean, it, like you said, it's not, or the – um, James Harden got jumped by Giannis for MVP. And this mm-hmm. is actually something that I was talking about on the podcast on Monday when I did it by themselves, by myself. As much as I would love to see James Harden win another MVP, I personally don't think he's going to get it this year. I mean, my big thing with getting MVP, I even said this on the podcast, I would not give James Harden the MVP award unless Houston finishes top four in the Western Conference mm-hmm. and I could make a statement for him. But if Oklahoma City is able to get the one seed, and even with what Giannis is doing with Milwaukee, if they have the best record in the NBA, I do not have a problem and I could personally don't even know if I can make a case for him deserving it over Giannis if they're able to have the best record in the league I mean what he's doing right now he's clearly leading this team him and Middleton the only two mm-hmm. all-stars I mean Harden was the only all-star in his team but I mean the NBA Granted, races, they do have some players yeah. that are all-star caliber in terms of their career like as as a whole mm-hmm. I mean they have Bledsoe they have Lopez he's a multiple-time all-star Lopez they have even Miritich who sometimes can play at an all-star level if he is feeling himself, and I think that I mean he's coming off their bench at times. So I mean I think it's I think it's big for them. Uh, I think Miritich actually helps Giannis in terms of like edging out that MVP vote. But I do agree with you. I think it all depends on records at the end of the day because if you know Houston or the Thunder are able to slip farther up, maybe to a second seed, third seed yeah. for the Rockets, one to two seed for the Thunder. I think that you have to look at Paul George or James Harden. And I think that I think the race pretty much is wrapped up in terms of those three. I don't yeah, think anybody else is sneaking in. Yeah, I just feel like with the Warriors, like Durant and Curry take too much away from each other. The Warriors are a hard team to watch, man. I mean, you just like... You, yeah, I mean, it just seems too easy. Yeah, they just don't really care as much in the regular season, and they're still 43-17, and 17, best record in the Western Conference. I mean, I think there's a good case for Jokic out there in Denver. Mm-hmm. I just feel like that he's not killing it enough in one category. You know what I yeah, mean? Like, I agree. I feel like that Jokic, like, I mean, he's finally got his average per game up to 20 points per game. He's averaging over 10 rebounds per game. He's averaging um, eight 7.7 assists. 7 assists. Yeah, 8 assists. I mean... The numbers are there for Jokic, and the success is there for them. I just feel like that 
you know, I, I don't know. I just feel like that he's not going to be able to get – I feel like that we're, people are waiting on the Nuggets to fall off. I'm not, but I don't believe in the Nuggets in the playoffs. I would say in the playoffs, I think Golden State – I would agree with you. I mean, I think Golden State's going to win the Western Conference, but I feel like that Oklahoma City and Houston are the next best built for the playoffs. I, re- I really do hope that the Warriors have some kind of slide in terms of um, just overall record because I would like to see uh, the Nuggets or the Thunder – in a situation where they have home court advantage over the Warriors, because I think that's the only way that they could possibly win. And I think that would really make the Western Conference interesting because, I mean, let's face it, it made the Western Conference interesting last year with the Rockets and had the Rockets not completely not shown up on that last night in Houston. Um, I think that they would have, I think that they would have won. They should have won, honestly. Let's be realistic. They definitely should have won that game. So I think that, you know, if you have teams that have the home court advantage over the Warriors, I think they are actually beatable. And it just depends on their health. I know they're missing Draymond Green right now. They haven't been playing particularly great. They've still been getting wins, but they, I mean, they got beat by the Rockets without James Harden. And that's a huge, that's a huge loss. Realistically, yeah, I mean, huge. Houston low-key has dominated. I mean, they beat them in two out of three regular season games last year. The only one they lost, they didn't have Chris Paul. I mean, we know what happened in the three, play. Three times this year? Yeah, they'll play again. They play again later on in the season. I mean, Rocket, the Rockets should have beat them in the playoffs. I mean, 100% should have beat them in the playoffs. Houston, they were up three, two. Yeah, I mean, technically, Houston still can't be counted out. We also got to think Houston has a Bond Shumpert who hasn't been playing either. So, I mean. Yeah, and when Clint Capello is on that floor, it's a huge it's a huge difference, especially if Chris Paul is there. But Clint Capella really helps that team in terms of just keeping the opponents to a lower scoring ceiling. I mean, it's with James Harden out there, you can pretty much outscore anybody. But if you're letting these teams just outscore you just at will, then obviously there's an issue there. But with Clint Capella, I think that. Their defensive ceiling is much higher, obviously. And I think that Capella is the key cog in terms of keeping the Warriors within striking distance as far as like a yeah, I think, offense. I yeah. think Capella is the key player too because, I mean, he's he's a, he's a mismatch for the Warriors, even with DeMarcus Cousins in there. I mean, he's the kind of guy DeMarcus Cousins doesn't want to deal with. Capella plays hard. He's a great rebounder, great defender. So I think that gives the Rockets an extra edge. I personally think the Rockets are the second-best team in the West, whether record says so or not. I think they can I, take I over say the that, city in the playoffs. I would say that the Rockets are like – I have like – two to three teams bundled as the second best team in the West because I don't really know yet. And I, I'm using the rest of this regular season to kind of figure it out. Mm-hmm. But I do think the the Nuggets, the Thunder, and the Rockets are probably the second the second best, and they're competing to be that second best right now. I think that uh, Houston's hitting full stride at the right time, for sure, 100%. They're hitting full health at the right time. But at the same time, I do think that the Thunder are also kind of I think the Thunder have potential to be better than both of those teams, especially with that. I like that Marquise Morris pickup for them. I, I really do. I think that adds some depth. Thunder, much yeah. much needed depth. And this was already the deepest Thunder team they've had yeah. in years. So. And that was that's saying a lot because they have struggled with that in the past. But as far as what Marquise Morris brings to them, I think it's you know kind of an, an an added Stephen Adams off the bench. Yeah. So I think that helps them a lot, especially with the teams they're competing against. Yeah, I agree. Um, before we call it quits for today, 
Just had some breaking news coming out of the MLB here that we can, I think we need to discuss here real quick before we go. And that is Nolan Arenado just got a new deal. It's the highest paid um, position player in the history of the MLB. He has a um, opt-out clause for three years. His contract is like, years. it is eight years, two hundred sixty million. Yeah, he's making thirty-two point five million dollars per year. That's the highest contract ever paid to a position player. So, first off, do you think Arenado was worth it? Of all players, I think he's hot take. I think he's more valuable than Manny Machado. I agree. And Bryce Harper. I agree. Because one. Look, man, this guy didn't play a contract year and then decide to wait the entire offseason on the team mm-hmm. to, you know, offer him $315 million. He He signed the extension with Colorado. He's loyal. He obviously, probably out of those three players, he's my probably the best defender, I'd say, uh, on the field. Yeah, he's a five-tool player. I mean, he's incredible. He's got the speed. He's got power. He's hits for an average. The big benefit for Colorado is that they've locked him up in Colorado, which will boost his batting average and stats. Yeah. And I, I think that that's a no-brainer for them. Eight years over 260 for your cornerstone is about what you're going to have to pay nowadays. I, I expect even Acuna to get some something similar to that later on the road for the Braves. There's certain players that definitely I expect to see those contracts. He is one of them. And I think that that's a no-brainer for them. Yeah, I mean, I agree with you completely. I mean, he's a four-time All-Star, six-time Gold Glover, four-time Silver Slugger, three-time NL Home Run Champion, two-time NL RBI Leader. I mean, he's hit for the cycle. He's he's got so many achievements he's you can everything. look at. I mean, Arenado to me, he was a guy like I said last year. I felt like if they could, if the Rockies could have won that division, that he would have won MVP. So. Mm-hmm. Arnold so is that good. To be honest, I don't know how he doesn't have one. Yeah, that's what, I mean, it was close for him. I mean, the only thing is Yelich just heated up so yeah, much Yelich and helped win, that, helped win that tight race and kind that's of get because the Brewers struggled. So, I mean, yeah, that's what I'm saying. So, I mean, Arenado absolutely deserved the contract. I would have paid him every single cent of it and more. I mean, he's one of those can't-miss, once-in-a-lifetime prospects. He's mm-hmm. a five-tool player. I think if anybody deserves a contract, I think it's him. You take the drama out of the situation with him. He's all about. He's all about winning. He's all about baseball. He doesn't. He doesn't want to have a dramatic situation. Bryce Harper, I feel like, thrives off the situation where the spotlight's on him. Mm-hmm. And I think this is – it's becoming an issue because he hasn't signed yet. And it's – as a fan of the MLB, it's – it's quite frankly, it's pissing me off. I mean, it's – I don't know why he hasn't signed yet. It's so ridiculous that he's one of the spotlight on him this entire offseason. It hasn't even been the season, mm-hmm. and he's been begging for the spotlight all offseason – I mean, even when Tony Romo is, you know, calling plays and whatnot, the first thing that Bryce Harper related that to was, oh, Tony Romo is going to predict where I play next year. It's like everything is about him. I'm getting sick of it. I'm I'm fed up with the Bryce Harper situation. I don't even care. Honestly, I wouldn't pay Bryce Harper the kind of I wouldn't pay it either. I mean, what did he he bat? He bat 260 in his contract year. I mean, you can't expect. A $315 million contract just because you hit a ball 550 feet in high school. I mean, obviously, that's a stretch because he's played. He's been a really good player over his career. But at the same time, is he worth that money? I don't think so. And especially when he acts like he is the best thing on earth. I mean, he acts like he could get $300 million in the NFL if he wanted to. I mean, it's just ridiculous to me. I mean, 2018, not a very good year. I mean, he did hit... 34 home runs and 100 RBIs, but he bat two, he hit 249 
And I don't know about you, but 249, <laughs> if you can't bat, you know, at least your your contract and numbers, you can't bat over 300 and you're asking for 300 plus million in a contract. I just don't. You should have signed it months ago. I mean, it's. It, I don't think you're doing yourself a favor for any any situation. One, you're going to get less of an off season with a team. Two, yeah, you're going to get the same amount of money that you could have got if you signed a month ago. And three, I mean, any team that he goes to, I feel like he's going to go to, and his teammates aren't going to necessarily like want him there, welcome him with open arms, Phillies? simply because like. I mean, he's wasted their time. Yeah, I mean, the Phillies feel like they're pretty confident getting him. But let me tell you this: so, so your WAR in the last two years, Manny Machado has an eight has a WAR of eight point eight, Bryce Harper is in a WAR of eight point three, and Aaron Hicks is a WAR of eight point two. A guy who yesterday just signed a seven year, seventy million dollar contract. I mean, the, the difference in those contracts, he's gonna be making about ten million dollars. Bryce Harper's gonna be making about twenty million dollars more than that. Do you really want to pay twenty million dollars more for someone who has pretty much the same WAR? As Aaron Hicks, I'm just gonna leave it there at that. I would not pay Harper in. I'm ready for him to sign. It's been frustrating to see that with everything. But uh, I, <laughs> do you have uh, anything else you want to say before we call it quits? No, man. I've gotten heated over this Bryce Harper topic. I just I can't stand his just drama induced free agency that he's put on us as fans. I think it's horrible, but. Hopefully he signs by the next time we record. Probably not. We've been saying that for a while yeah. now. Uh, he'll probably wait till about. Probably he might pull a Le'Veon Bell for this one. Honestly, I mean, who knows? But hopefully he signs. We kind of get the landscape of the MLB. Uh, that'll be another conversation that we need to have soon. Simply because, I mean, it's coming fast. And uh, next time we talk, what will be in March? We'll have. March Madness right around the corner. We'll have mm-hmm. the MLB season right around the corner. We'll have the wind down of the NBA season, which is actually the wind up. Uh, you start seeing teams play with like a playoff mentality. Yeah. Which is playoff mode activated. Yeah. Playoff we didn't mode. talk about that, but the Lakers definitely not making the playoffs. Yeah. We Good forgot. We got I mean, yeah. it's they're an easy team to forget about. Yeah, they're very forgettable. I mean, they're not even worth my they're not even worth my breath, but <laughs> appreciate you coming on once again, Brett. Uh, hopefully we, uh, what, 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 what's our next one going to be Thursday, Thursday or Friday, Thursday, Friday. Cool. One of the two. All right. Well, until then, we really don't have that many games on between now and then. So I guess we'll, we'll formulate some kind of, some kind of sports talk. We'll see. Yeah. Yeah. We got something good coming for y'all soon. So be ready for that. But appreciate y'all tuning in once again, follow me on Twitter at hot takes with TP three on Instagram at TP three underscore NBA underscore bets. Appreciate you all. Appreciate you, Brett. We'll see you all again soon. Peace.